Welcome to Fireside Breakdowns. I'm John. And I'm Robin. Together, we research and break down complex and even controversial topics facing our society. We always aim to bring you honest analysis backed by research to skew our bias towards what can be factually supported and to make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. We're human. We have blind spots and biases, and they will show through. However, our goal isn't to convince you to think any certain way. We want to build a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that we can address them together. We talk about some pretty heavy stuff on this show, and we tackle topics that might feel polarizing. But we do that because we have an important goal in mind. We want to change the way that people have hard conversations, and we think that we can do that using research and discussion to create common understanding. And since you're here, we hope that you want the same thing. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. This week, uh, we're going to spend some time talking about bias, but first, uh, just a couple of quick disclaimers. Uh, we have had one hell of a week that included uh, houses that flooded and dogs that forgot all of their obedience training ever and mm -hmm. <clears throat> volleyball games and motorcycle races and just generally life stuff. Um, so if you're listening to the pod, this is probably going to be a little bit uh, less polished of a production than our already unpolished productions. <laughs> <laughs> Because I'm not going to have time to go through and uh, and edit out the false starts and when we like uh, trip over our tongue <laughs> and, and just flub stuff or say the wrong thing entirely, which yeah. happens uh, way more than we would like to admit. Yeah. Um, you're also getting the like late night jazz host vocals from both of us because accurate. Yeah, both of our vocal cords are absolutely shot. So. Uh, you know, settle on in for a long conversation about bias and how it affects <laughs> us as humans. Uh, we're going to dive into some B-side tracks tonight and really take a thorough explanation and exploration of how bias impacts us all or something like that. Yeah. Um, I'm also, there's going to be a lot of personal anecdotes from me in this particular episode because I think... <laughs> I don't know if it's because of, you know, all of how prototypically white I am, but I got a lot of great stories, like white dude I am. It's just like, I got a lot of stories about how, about, you know, my own bias and uh, they, they make some, I like them, I enjoy them. They make me who I am, so. They're good stories. I hope so. Um, and, and you have put yourself in a place where you have been able to have your biases challenged. So that's what we've learned from this is that you're learning and growing all of the time. And that's cool. Definitely trying to do that. Yeah. Uh, we hope people listening to this dear listener, uh, are also <laughs> in that, <laughs> in that position. Right. Um, you know what I just realized is this is going to be the episode where we get like a lot of feedback, a lot of positive feedback on how easy we are to listen to. And we're going to have to record every episode from here on out. Like we're trying to play some smooth jazz. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, right. We hope you enjoy it. <clears throat> so, 
yes, 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 yes. We know there are so many headlines and conversations that are begging for a, uh, a rational and information-based perspective. Uh, trust us, we want to and we will talk about those things. But we've noticed, and, and we've noticed it a lot lately, um, that at the roots of many of these conversations are some basic dysfunctions that keep us from being able to effectively and, and civilly discuss these topics. Bias is one of those dysfunctions. It's, it's kind of like the mother of all dysfunctions. It, it really is informative on a lot of what we do. And so we're going to start there. Uh, explicit, implicit, cognitive, we're, we're going to talk about all of it. And by all of it, we mean as much as we could cram into an hour because there's like whole fields of psychology dedicated oh, to yeah. this stuff and we literally cannot talk about all of it. Um, no. But should we're be, gonna hopefully, yeah, we're going to hopefully serve as, a, as a, at least a, a functional introduction um, to some of the things that we all run into and some of the things you see. Um, so the truth of the matter is that everyone all of us, not just the political opponent, <laughs> right. could probably use a primer on this stuff, um, which includes Robin and myself. Yes, 100%. Um, but before we get into those definitions and the research and all of that smooth jazz, uh, we have a story that we want to start the episode with. Don't worry, we're not going to quiz you on names or dates or anything at the end of the episode. We just want you to do your best to listen to the story and process it and kind of envision what these situations might look like to you. Yeah. Um, so it's it's actually super, super duper short. Um, it actually it sounds a lot more like a joke than a story. But this, I swear this actually really did happen um, the other day. <laughs> One of my friends posted a, a meme. It's a pretty simple one. It's uh, actually one of the more effective ones, if you ask me, um, because it's super versatile. Um, but it's a two-picture like comic of um, like a, a puppet monkey. I don't know what it's from. It's from a show. Um, and it's meant to sort of convey that feeling of, of sharing a guilty look with someone or um, uh, like... I don't know what the feeling is. It's not always guilt, but like like Jim from The Office, if you've ever watched that, when Michael does something that's just like incredibly stupid or cringy or just uh, and all Jim can do is stare at the camera. It's that feel, right? So anyway, um, she posted that picture and uh, along with the caption, when the boss whose call you ignored during squats comes into the weight room. <laughs> Which is like a big, a big, oh, big, oh, moment. If you're from the Midwest, you know that feeling. Oh, um, anyway, I'm terribly clever as uh, regular listeners to this show will, will obviously attest to, you know, um, and I responded, it, you know, if he works out, he gets it. Glutes before suits, bro. <laughs> like, come on. It works so well. So and I'm really proud of that it's one. It's so good. But anyway, that's basically the whole story. Um, so just envision that, if you will, and just the situation around it yeah, and, and what I said. And, uh, and uh, we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll circle back to this one a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, there's a point, I promise. It's just, I mean, it happened. So anyway. And I will also be looking for any possible excuse to use that sentence this week. Ever oh, at all. Yes. Uh, obviously, th that one is a freebie to anybody listening to this. Yeah. Please take it 
and, and uh, disperse it among the population. Run, in fact, run with we it. should make we should get little enamel pins that we can sell on the website that just say glutes before suits. Yes, people please. Have, people are going to get yes, the complete please. wrong idea about fireside breakdowns, but at least they'll think. No, I'm pretty sure that anybody who listens will not have the wrong idea. And anybody who doesn't listen will be very intrigued. That's marketing. That's marketing 101. That that is marketing 101. Make them curious. Let's do it. Our first first merch right there. (laughs) Glutes before suits. Just like a little peach with a tie on it. I'm done. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) For now. (laughs) It's too late for this. Okay, so for now, we're going to leave that story and we're going to talk about something that we have hit on in literally every single episode we've ever recorded. Since the very beginning, every one of our 50-something episodes, we open the episode talking about it, and that's bias. In particular, we're going to talk about cognitive bias and how it's inherent in all of us. It's something that we struggle with every single episode, despite our very best efforts to avoid it. But before we can talk about it, we have to define what exactly bias is. Simply put, bias is a prejudice in favor of or against one thing or a person or a group in comparison to another. But most importantly, it's when that comparison is done in a way that's considered to be unfair. So for the purposes of this episode, we're mostly going to focus on biases held by individuals, but biases can also be held by a group or by an institution. And biases can have positive or negative consequences for the people who hold the bias and those who are on the receiving end of it. Yeah, scientists generally agree, scientists just yeah, as a group, yeah, all of <laughs> agree them. That, that everyone is a little bit biased. I think that's actually something that human, humans in general can agree yeah. on it. I've, I've never met anybody who seriously asserted that they were unbiased um, unless they had... <laughs> Perhaps they had some issues in other cognitive areas as well, like humility. Um, So even those of us with the best intentions who actively work to challenge our prejudices as we encounter them have some biases we don't recognize. And this is because our brains are literally built to be biased. As humanity developed, one of the ways we learn to cope with and navigate an increasingly a complicated amount of stimulus was to categorize things. Things that smell like this are good to eat. Things that look like that will murder you. Um, Our brains are really, really good at making these kinds of connections. And they do it without our conscious input. That means that even when we learn new information that can help us consciously distinguish things that have previously shared a category, our brains often default to those automatic characterizations. These shortcuts are the basics of bias. Um, As an example, generally speaking, we all know that snakes can be venomous, but we also know that there are snakes that are not venomous. Mm -hmm. But if somebody has learned or has uh, uh, experienced nothing but the venomous variety in their life or has a strong inclination to dislike snakes, even being introduced to a non-venomous snake will cause them to react strongly. That is just a very simple, without nuance, explanation of, <laughs> of, of how something that we have previously associated 
can be met with new information and we still hold on to the previous association, right? Mm -hmm. um, so face, facial recognition, to get a little more esoteric here, um, is a really strong example of the, the shortcut in how we think that causes these bias. So research has demonstrated that we are not as good at recognizing differences between or, or remembering the faces of people of other races. Um, <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't some inherent like preference. We're not born with what scientists call other race face recognition bias. It's a very, a very easy name. It just rolls right off right. the tongue. Um, it develops as we grow up and we observe faces because we are most likely to grow up around people who look like us, right? We, we learn to make distinctions between these kinds of faces we see most often. Obviously, there are exceptions to this. Don't at me if you live in the most culturally diverse city in the world or right. something like that. We get yeah. it. Um, it's not inherently malicious, or even something that we use consciously, um, but it can have significant effects on how we interact with each other. Um, like our ability to identify a criminal in a lineup by a photo. Um, <laughs> One of the stories that I read when we were researching this, it made me chuckle and it shouldn't have, but um, it involved a group of, of young men who kind of went on a purse snatching spree in Chinatown, in where they lived, and uh, they would swap out every time who stole the purse, and then they would all run away together. And when the officers asked them why they did that, they said, because we know we all look alike to them, and they wouldn't be able to pick us out in a lineup. <laughs> And I'm leaving all the races out, but, but it's, it's, gen, it's generally true. Science actually backs that story up um, when we are looking at people of a different race than we are most familiar with, than we are most used to looking at. Uh, we do not do a very good job of remembering their faces or recognizing the difference between them. Yeah, we can a, learn, don't... obviously. Yeah. We can <laughs> yeah. learn. Um, but it, it is just a byproduct of how our brains have come to function. Yeah. Uh, that said, if anybody <laughs> listening to this goes out and says, well, they all look the same to me because science, we will, we will disown you immediately. Right. Yeah. No, 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 no. That is not an excuse not to get better. Right. Yeah. That is just an explanation for why you may have a deficiency at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Is that better? I mean, that's not funny, but it's exactly right. That is exactly right. right. I, well, and that's a, a good example of these two different kinds of bias, right? Psychologists divide bias into two primary categories. You have explicit bias or implicit bias, conscious and unconscious. Explicit or conscious bias is prejudice that we're aware of. We choose those perspectives and we can justify them or we can even document them if asked. I can... I can write down a fairly solid list of biases that I hold. I'm not proud of them, um, but I know them, and I that's that's how we work on them. Generally speaking, people have gotten very, very good at recognizing and calling out explicit bias in other people, right? People or groups who are not ourselves or a part of our in-group, but most of us are not that great at dismantling our own explicit biases, 
we do a lot of mental gymnastics to try to reason away or justify our prejudice. I can come up with a list of justifications for mine, too. Doesn't make them right. Just means I can. Means they're there. Yep. <laughs> exactly. Uh, most people believe themselves to be morally good, right? I'm a good person. You're a good person. And part of that goodness generally involves fairness and objectivity. Phrases like, I believe in treating everyone equally, or I don't see color come to mind in here. So when we come face to face with a bias that violates some part of our moral goodness, it puts us in a state called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance happens when we're asked to acknowledge conflicting beliefs or behaviors in ourselves, and it can be incredibly uncomfortable like really, really uncomfortable. It is very difficult to hold two conflicting beliefs at the same time. And so we try to alleviate that discomfort by removing the validity of one of the conflicting ideas. Sometimes that means that we change our actual behavior or beliefs. That's the best possible outcome. Most often though, it means that we rationalize our bias. It means yeah, that we discredit the information that calls out our bias or we avoid the information altogether. Um, yeah. Yeah, we just we just avoid it. That's the one right there. That's the feel good spot. The right. one that the one where I don't have to challenge my own preconceived right. notions. So this is a place where I will admit to one of mine, right? Mm -hmm. I tend to be biased toward um information that sounds intelligent to me. Mm -hmm. I have a hard time considering believing and taking seriously um information that is full of spelling or grammatical errors. Yeah. And so oftentimes when I find my, my bias coming out, um, one of my default ways of rationalizing that is to discredit the information because it has a spelling error or because the grammar is bad. That person can't possibly know what they're talking about because they didn't use the right your. Yeah. I recognize it. I'm working on it. I do my best to admit it when I'm, when I'm wrong. Um, but that's that's what we do. It's too hard it's, to hold yeah. conflicting beliefs, so we just make one untrue. Yeah, exactly. You just go. Eh. Eh. <laughs> in my in, in my in the group chat with my buddies, uh, we have a similar problem. Um, less, I think, critically <laughs> important. But <laughs> if you uh, if we're in like a flame war or something, and and you you have a typo and you're in your, oh. your dis, it's over. No. You, you just walk a shame out of there. Yeah. You better have you better have perfect spelling and punctuation mm -mm. when you come back at me. Otherwise, you you got yeah. Nothing. Oh man. Yep. Um, so implicit. <laughs> back to what we should be talking about. Um, implicit or unconscious bias is is prejudice we're not aware we hold. Right. Uh, we we can't really account for or control it because we don't know it exists. Like the facial recognition bias we just talked about. As part of the process of tackling and dismantling our unconscious biases, uh, we have to encounter something that causes us to recognize and accept our prejudice, moving it from implicit to explicit and allowing us the opportunity to address it. It's usually not something we can accomplish without some external catalyst. Everyone listening, you're welcome. This is your external catalyst. This is your sign. <laughs> I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I'm exactly. asking him to make a change. Okay, I could go on because I love that song a whole lot. Yeah. And also, you're going to need to cut that into a sound clip. 
Okay, fine. We're amassing quite quite a collection of of John singing things sound clips. Fireside it's breakdowns. The, I EP can't coming edit. Soon. I don't. I don't have time to edit this episode, so it's staying in the pod too. <laughs> like, Hello. This one's a freebie for everybody. Hopefully, hopefully the Jackson estate doesn't come after us. I'm I'm pretty sure they're not worried about us. We have a massive following, Robin. Dozens of people a month listen dozens. to us. Dozens. Dozens. Okay, we got to get back on track. Let's talk about yes, cognitive bias. Okay. All biases, all of them, can land us in tricky situations. But when it comes to having hard conversations about polarizing topics, cognitive biases are the most likely to give us trouble. These are prejudices or preconceived notions in our thinking based on information that we have, we believe that we have, or that we completely lack. They're systematic errors that we make because we think subjectively and because we use decision-making shortcuts called heuristics. Nobel Prize-winning economist and cognitive psychologist Herbert Simon originally introduced the concept of heuristics in the 1950s. He suggested that while people strive to make rational choices, human judgment is subject to cognitive limitations. Making purely rational decisions would have to involve considering every alternative before we took action. But because we don't have the time or the information to do that for every decision, we've developed these shortcuts that we can rely on that come from our previous experiences and they kind of help us cut to the chase of that decision making. Now, some of the, there are a lot of heuristic. A lot frameworks, right? But some of the most recognizable heuristics people employ um, include availability. We use this heuristic when we estimate the likelihood of an occurrence based on how many similar examples we can recall. Um, So we might use this to judge the safety of an activity, right? If we can recall many examples of people being hurt while engaging in that activity, Um, we are more likely to determine that it is unsafe. Now, that doesn't mean we won't do the unsafe thing, as my hand can attest to one 4th of July several years back. (laughs) I tried to throw a mortar, and it had a very short fuse on it. (laughs) I still have all 10 digits because I got very lucky. But uh, yeah, my heuristical thinking processes, I don't know if heuristical is a word, people. It uh, is now. Definitely were bypassed by a dumb boy. (laughs) The dumb boy shortcut. The dumb boy shortcut. (laughs) The ejection seat of logic right there. Exactly. (laughs) Another heuristic is representativeness. Uh, That one involves comparing the present situation to a similar or representative situation. So you might use this when you're trying to decide if someone's trustworthy. You might compare aspects of that individual to other mental examples that you hold. So one good example of this is our almost automatic trust of police and firemen. Or um, as a parent, when you are going out with young children and you're going to a crowded place, um, a lot of parents will tell them, if we get separated, go find a mom with a baby. Mm-hmm. Right? So we, we yep. know that moms with babies tend to be more safe. So we can compare that situation and tell our kids, go find a policeman or a mom with a baby. That's literally exactly what I told my children. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't think I ever got such a briefing, actually. No, uh, I think I had a leash. I'm going to be real honest. Really? I'm pretty I sure I had a leash. leash. Um, yeah, I don't know. 
I never really got lost in the store. I did get lost, like twice, and I remember instant panic as a kid. Yeah. And then running madly around the store trying to find mom. She yeah. Was almost always within five feet, and I was just dumb. Again, dumb boy. It happens. Um, it happens. <laughs> I was more dumb kid. Uh, another heuristic um, effect. The affect heuristic leads us to affect with an A. Um, the affect heuristic leads us to analyze choices based on the emotions we're currently feeling. Um, if we're in a positive mood, we are more likely to see the potential benefits and minimize the risks involved in a decision. Uh, if we're in a negative mood, we're more likely to perceive the potential outcomes of the decision as negative. Um, this can short circuit and lead to things like a depression spiral where you're feeling bad. So when you're presented with a choice, all you can think of are how that choice is going to go wrong, which then mm -hmm. makes you feel worse, which then makes you less likely to imagine positive outcomes. Um, that's There's entire practices dedicated to um, literally just training people how to break out of these spirals. Oh, yes. Um, very common thing. Very common Cognitive thing. behavioral therapy. Yep. Yep. Another one of these heuristics is called anchoring. The anchoring heuristic describes our tendency to give more credence to the first piece of information that we gather in our decision-making process. So for example, if I was gonna ask two friends for their opinion on a restaurant, and the first one gives me a negative review, I may be more likely to make my decision based on that first review, even if my second friend gives it a positive recommendation. There's only two friends, but the first one told me it was bad. And so that little shortcut in my brain tells me that one's probably more reliable. Yeah. Which makes sense when you imagine, like, hop in the Wayback Machine, billions and billions of years ago, when we were evolving, mm -hmm. or whatever, uh, early in humanity's existence, you, you didn't have a lot of, we didn't have a lot of risk tolerance. Right. You know, if you ignored the bad warning because somebody else said, eh, it's okay, and you did eat the berry that your other friend told you, hey, that's going to kill you you're dead if 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 you ignore the first warning so yes yeah um so and that's how a lot of these these mental shortcuts develop is we have developed them not just in our lifetime but you know over the course of human existence right um a final one we want to talk about is it's something called i had to look at this word like a million times it's called <laughs> satis satisficing yes so satisficing I it was wrong is, when i first read yeah it. i did too uh, but there's no red line, so it's right. Uh, that is a shortcut that's not always true. Right. Just because the red line is or is not there doesn't mean that the word is right, okay? Um, anyway, satisficing is a decision-making shortcut in which we choose the first option that satisfies our criteria, even if other and potentially better options exist. Um, there's a million and all I can think of in my head, and this is a terrible example, is like when when somebody settles for not a great person and spends the rest of their life with them. Look, terrible I'm not going to pretend example. that that was not the first thing that came to my mind, too. Okay. Well, I'm glad that I am not a horrible person. No, that is the first thing here. I thought of, too. But... um. Uh, but yeah, I'll tell you what, when, when I'm just feeding myself, sometimes satisficing is like, you know, I can roll up some lunch meat and have a handful of goldfish and maybe a slice of cheese and be cool for a minute. You know, that's, I definitely should choose a better option that includes, you know, any sort of vegetable. 
But uh, I do have goldfish if I choose this first option. Yeah, no, there is a whole category of food in my world that is called dinner bacon. And it's like, I'm hungry. Dinner bacon. Done. There's bacon and it's there. I'm eating and it. And now it's dinner. And now I don't have to make any other, like, I don't have to evaluate any other foods. I don't have to decide what's going to take the right amount to cook, what I have ingredients for. Nope. There's dinner bacon. A lot of, so you might be picking up by this point that a lot of these, um, these heuristics, a lot of biases, which develop, um, sort of tangentially from heuristics, they're not the same thing. So don't confuse them. Heuristics is just a thinking, a decision-making process. A bias is how you perceive something, but biases use heuristics that's how they they're they're sort of related to each other in that way um but it sounds like biases often come off as a as a preference um and they are in a lot of ways sometimes we have preference because we are biased Mm -hmm. and sometimes we are biased because we have preference um they're not one-to-one exactly but they're heavily heavily related yeah and, and we do have to say, like, not everybody uses heuristics to make every decision. Sometimes we do sit down and carefully calculate all of the options, make the best choice that we possibly can. But these shortcuts are essential to our ability to make quick decisions overall. Without them, we would be frozen with indecision for most of our day. Um, but these shortcuts can also cause us to make mistakes, like small ones, like arguing the wrong point in a conversation or big ones, like poor medical or investment decisions. Most of us are probably familiar with the most common problem of heuristics, jumping to conclusions. Right, so we'll get partial information about something, mm-hmm. and because we have these, this developed process of decision-making, um, we don't recognize, or at least we don't acknowledge, that we don't have all of the information we fill in the rest of those blanks. And this this literally just happened to me this week. It's a great example. Um, and it's based on a headline from the Washington Times. Uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Washington <laughs> Times, they are a conservative newspaper based in Washington, D.C. Now, don't get it twisted. They sometimes have good reporting. Um, but because their bias... All right, is to the conservative side of things. They often um, will manipulate their headlines or or their story um, to serve their audience. And you know, this just happens to be a conservative newspaper that that has supplied this example. Um, MSNBC, which leans liberal, will do the same thing. Mm-hmm. All right, yep. it's it's part of the problem with uh, uh, with news as um, as consumable. Uh, as a monetized material, right? If you need an audience to make money, you are going to cater to an audience to get them to come. Um, And because of that, uh, we end up with very biased news. So Washington Times kind of falls into that category where they're, they're fairly biased overall. They kind of run in the same crowd as uh, the Daily Caller and the New York Post. Uh, we've talked about the New York Post uh, to, at, uh, to, at some length on this show. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, oh, yes. The point being, if you don't know about their particular leaning, you wouldn't know how to interpret or how to, um, uh, to leaven the, the headline that you're seeing from them. Um, so on September 9th, 
the Washington Times posted an article entitled, U.S. Postal Service Reportedly Exempt from Biden Vaccine Mandate After Union Endorsement. The phrasing of that title is very important. Mm-hmm. And it, the article describes how workers from the USPS uh, would not be subject to the new mandates that all federal workers be vaccinated for COVID. Now this, the article implies is due to the fact that the American Postal Workers Union does not support vaccine mandates. Uh, but they were a large supporter of Biden during his presidential campaign. Um, and so therefore, the Biden administration let them have a pass on the mandate due to this earlier favor of supporting him. Now, very importantly, the article never explicitly states that. It never explicitly says that this is the case. It just randomly inserts the fact that the USPS has a very large union, which endorsed Biden, but also disagrees with this policy. It's like saying, you know, you connected the dots, dear reader. We didn't say it. Right. In defense of the Washington Times reporter, they developed a story from a Washington Post story that stated that postal workers would be exempt. But now we get into something that's really interesting, and that's how little effort it takes to go in a story from, hmm, to, well, this is completely corrupt. Because the Washington Post story also included the information that postal workers are represented by a large union that disagreed with the vaccine mandate. But in fact, the Washington Times article is almost word for word a rewrite of that Post article. Except with one significant single sentence addition. And that sentence is, the union endorsed Mr. Biden in the 2020 presidential campaign. That information is nowhere in the Washington Post article, but in the Times article, it gets its own standalone paragraph. And that's how it completely changes the tone of the article. And that is why my friend, upon reading the Times version of this story, was immediately upset at how corrupt everyone in politics is. Because he, for many reasons, and some of them are completely valid, and I totally understand where he comes from, he believes that every politician is inherently corrupt. This is an explicit bias that he admits. It's a conscious bias. So I'm not really throwing him under the bus on this one. And I don't want to give the wrong impression about the guy. He just, as a disclaimer, he's very smart and more than willing to have an actual discussion about things. Um, but in this example, he's falling into the trap of allowing his bias to dictate what he believes from this article, what he takes away from it. That's, that's the strength of bias. And that's what writers for these organizations know that they can play on. And if there's a distrust of the media in society, that is at least partly the fault of organizations who fall into the trap of misleading writing, like this Times article. You can lie with facts, and this is how it's done. You play on someone's bias to get them to tell themselves the lie. The Washington Times never said that Biden himself exempted the USPS from the mandate because the postal workers endorsed Biden. Because the postal workers endorsed Biden. But... By the way that the headline is phrased and by putting the fact that Postal Workers Union endorsed Biden for his campaign next to the fact that postal workers weren't included in the federal worker vaccine mandate, they know that they can rely on the way that humans think to make that point for them, while at the same time maintaining the ability to argue that they never said this was a tit-for-tat arrangement. For the record, 
The Times had to retract their story, as did the Post. Because the USPS is a weird entity inside the U.S. government, it's technically a public-private hybrid, and it's exempt from federal guidelines by default. When guidelines are written, they have to be explicitly stated to add postal workers to that guidance. This wasn't done in this particular case, not because the Biden administration was paying them back, but because they're covered under the provision that says businesses that have over 100 employees have to vaccinate their employees. It would simply be redundant to add them to the federal employee provision as well. But here's the problem. There is an excellent chance that the retraction is going to have very little impact on how people who read the initial article think, feel, or talk about that situation. Um, we talked about the anchoring heuristic. The first piece of information they got about this story was that this was a, a um, quid pro quo, to use mm -hmm. a phrase that every American is sick of, um, <laughs> situation, right? Um so, and this is especially if they were actually led to this conclusion, right? So because of the heuristics we just talked about, um, that, that, that article, right, it's, it's part of every reader's bank of information on President Biden, on vaccine mandates, and on unions. And when those readers reach into their memory to make a decision relevant to these topics, whether or not this process is conscious or unconscious, unconscious, um, this information will be part of that, of that, of that experience, of their experience, um, that they can use to help them in that decision-making process. And that's assuming that the people who read the original article uh, even see the retraction to begin with. Retractions right. mean, mean little if there's no audience to witness them. <laughs> Like, if you admit you're wrong in the middle of the woods <laughs> and nobody is around to hear it, is there still an admission of fault? <laughs> right. I mean, especially on the internet now when we never go back to read yeah. the same article twice. So very few people who would have encountered it in the first place would then go back to try to find it and find that it had disappeared. Yeah. Right. But heuristics are only the beginning of the issue here. They're the gateway to bias, if you will. They open the door to other less rational cognitive biases that can very quickly lead us into dangerous communication territory. <laughs> dangerous territory. I, no, it is. I'm just thinking about what we're getting ready to cover. And like, there are so many frustrating examples in every <laughs> single one of these things. Oh my gosh, we can't so cover many. them all because we are, uh, we're deep into this already. We got to, we, we got to get rolling. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm sure everybody's going to have a million stories in their head as we talk about these things. Exactly. Uh, one of the most common cognitive biases that we encounter in conversations about polarizing issues is group attribution bias. This is our tendency to attribute the characteristics of one or a few members of a group to the whole group, like labeling all Black Lives Matter protesters rioters, despite the fact that over 90% of the protests were peaceful. The exact number varies a bit depending on how you define peaceful and whose article you're looking at, but everybody agrees that it's over 90%. We saw this group attribution bias in the Martyr Maid thread and in so many other conversations last summer. We saw it in John's story with his friends feeling about all politicians. I saw it in a Facebook conversation last night. One person was sharing their frustration that their federal income taxes go to support social welfare programs for people who just abuse the system so they don't have to work. 
it's the core bias informing every single racist ever. Rationally, we know that not all members of a group share the same characteristics or behave in the same way. We may even be willing and able to acknowledge the exception to the rule. In the context of that Facebook conversation, the commenter was able to acknowledge that someone else's grandmother who receives Social Security and Medicare is not abusing the system. But the bias can be so strong that we follow up that acknowledgement with, but that's not the case for most of them. Another, I guess we just got to keep moving. Another, we just another keep going. yep, another bias, um, a cognitive bias that features heavily when we're trying to assess complicated topics is probably one everybody has heard of and has probably seen abused so thoroughly in the last, <laughs> well, especially in conversations over the last yeah. uh, several years, um, is confirmation bias. Uh, just a real quick spoiler, just because somebody says something is confirmation bias doesn't mean it is confirmation mm-hmm. bias. Like it actually means something. Um, and it, 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 what it means is giving more weight to information that confirms our current viewpoint than we do to information that contradicts it. I've seen people say, well, just because you were proven right, that's confirmation bias. And it's like, well, no, <laughs> like no. sometimes there's just fact and, and, Right. It's not being biased to believe the fact. That's just what is. Um, it's when there is a question on the table and you're presented with a bunch of information and you want one side to be true. So you only kind of weight that information in your favor. Um, this is this is one bias that we have to be very cautious of when we're researching this podcast uh, because everybody loves to be right. I would kind of honestly say that very few people like to be right more than Robin and myself. Yeah, um, I love being right. There is a um, you know, a, a not insignificant amount of ego behind this podcast that we're not blind to, <laughs> but we are willing to learn. We are. We're uh, working on it. Um, but with the entire internet at our fingertips, we have access to so much information on every side of an issue. Um, it's easy to just type in a search query based on our viewpoint and just beast on article after article that tells us we are on the winning side. And it's so tempting to share all that information with others who disagree. But only seeking out information that supports our own opinions leaves us with half the story. And it can lead us down a path of, of just poor decision making very, very quickly. And here's the kicker about the whole thing. We know that we suffer from this bias we know that we encounter it and we still manage to fall into Mm -hmm. it even though we are actively trying not to we actively try to seek out opposing viewpoints but bias sneaks in through every lapse in attention every moment of triumph every time we're in a hurry every time we sit down to research and life has been hammering us with a million little distractions which feels like literally every week lately seriously Um, we are at a greater risk of falling into our biased thinking. It's why we put the disclaimer at the top of every episode. We're going to slip up. Am I reiterating this for the millionth time on this podcast? Yes. Will I continue to do so until I literally cannot physically communicate in any way? (laughs) Also, yes. Also, yes. (sighs) It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Yeah. Another cognitive bias that gets in the way of productive conversations is the actor-observer bias. 
This means that we're more likely to attribute others' negative behaviors and actions to their internal factors, like their character, while we attribute our negative actions or behaviors to external factors. If a coworker is late for an important meeting, we might assume that they're lazy or poor at time management without taking external factors into account. But if we're late to the same meeting, we're more likely to attribute our tardiness to traffic or lost keys or a broken clock or a baby that kept us up all night instead of our own internal characteristics. Yeah, it's kind of like nobody is a villain in their own story. Um, none of us are the morally lacking lazy bones uh, in, in our own stories. You know, that's... <laughs> That's why there are a million and a half excuses for being late to something. I have probably used all of them. Same. Um, we didn't oversleep because of laziness, right? We overslept because we are chronically exhausted and trying so hard to fix all the problems of the world. We're martyring ourselves in the service of others. Uh, if, if, if only <laughs> I hadn't stayed up late last night to finish this project for work, I'd have been able to get up with my alarm this morning. Alas, I did stay up late, and my exhaustion is a badge of honor. Mm -hmm. Yours is a mark of shame, right? You probably played video games until like 3 a.m., like some hedonistic slob who cares about things like balance and mental health and maintaining <laughs> friendships and not grinding your bones into dust in the gears of the inexorably turning machine named productivity. I stayed up late for noble reasons. You stayed up late out of vice. <laughs> yeah, I may be working through something in that last paragraph. Back to bias. I think you might be working through something. It's okay. It's a little bit. I felt very puritanical, though. It was kind of fun. I don't yeah, lie. exactly. <laughs> But here's the thing, like we don't just do this for ourselves. We apply this bias to our in-groups as well, people that we identify with or that behave like us. I see this bias come up a lot in conversations about police violence. On both sides, those who identify with the police in those situations are more likely to attribute negative internal characteristics like criminality or drug addiction or aggression to the victim of the violence, and to attribute external factors like threatening behavior or provocation to the officer. But then those who identify with the victim are more likely to attribute negative internal characteristics like racism or arrogance to the officer and external factors like environment and poverty to the victim. In reality, being late to work or being involved in a police violence encounter usually involves a combination of both internal and external factors. And when we ignore one or the other, we're ignoring important context that will help us resolve issues like that. Yeah, fun, fun quote story. <laughs> um, I fell into this trap really, really hard right after I graduated from police academy. Um, something we haven't really hit on up until now is, is that you can be taught bias. It seems pretty obvious, um, but as I've gotten older, I've learned uh, not to believe that what is obvious for one person is obvious for all. So yes, you can be taught a bias. None of us are immune to that. None of us are immune to, uh, I, the word seems strong, but indoctrination. Um, it's just, there's a, some people have different ways of being indoctrinated. And, you know, um, after I graduated, I was having a conversation at, at the time about how the real problem with police violence, uh, it can't be police training 
because I'd just been through academy and I saw what the training was like firsthand, um, how the law worked, right? How most of the outrage about police killings was due to a poor understanding of why those particular killings were legal. Now, my bias was was that my my training was good, my logic and understanding of the situation was good, um, and therefore police training overall was good. And so if all policemen were trained relatively well, then um, then they couldn't necessarily be at fault here because the law was on their side. Um, and there's like, there are several, several, several biases at play. Just like there's always multiple biases at play for everybody. It's not a one at a time sort of thing. Um, and a lot of my fellow police officers think the same way. It's part of the overall issue right now with this conversation about how to make policing better for everybody. Um, and, and I see it every day and it's no wonder, right? This is exactly what happens when you're, um, exposed to a certain way of thinking for a long period of time and not just exposed to it, but like embedded in it, right? You don't realize you're being educated in, um, in a particularly biased mindset, um, you just kind of absorb and internalize it. In fact, when I went into policing, I went into policing because I wanted to be the police officer who wasn't like those guys that were mm. killing innocent civilians. Like I wanted to change it from the inside. Um, and that's why that sort of mentality is dangerous because when I went in, after I'd come out of academy, I really didn't think like that anymore. Like I thought, yeah, the bad cops need to be um, you know, disciplined and punished, right? But I also thought that most cops weren't bad. And I'm not saying that most cops are bad right now, but what I am saying is like I didn't I didn't question whether or not an officer could have done the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. I um I I I didn't like I, I stopped questioning whether or not something was morally right or wrong. I only knew that the events and the only way I thought about things was that the events that I saw and that I was reading about, they were legal and therefore they were not wrong. And this, like once I realized that, it took me a long time and some pretty rude awakenings and a lot of being willing to just shut up and listen for me to get out of, of that mindset. And it was a years long process. It took six months to get me there. And it took... It probably took two or three years before I was out of that place and in a place of um, uh, more informed understanding of the topic. Um, and it, it's like, I forget where I was actually headed with that overall thought. I'm just, the point of all of this <laughs> is that I'm not ashamed. I wish I could remember the point I was going at before I said that um, it took me a while to get out of it. Oh, yeah. So once I realized that what is legal is not necessarily what is ethical and that legality and morality don't always occupy the same space, um, that's when I really started to ask more like meaningful questions. Not is this legal, but should this be the way things are? Not was that person a criminal, but is it the role of police to mete out this type of judgment? Mm -hmm. Should a criminal be killed 
by police just because they are a criminal doing a criminal activity. And a lot of people, including my instructors and me for a long time, employ the phrase, play stupid games, win stupid prizes, um, which still comes in very handy on occasion. Um, <laughs> right. Probably should not be the mentality of our police force. Correct. Because uh, people be stupid. Exactly. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, this is a whole other episode. So just to bring it back, I'm not ashamed that I used to think that way because uh, I'm human. And the situation I had been in for those previous six months meant that my thinking like that was only natural. That is, that is how you get programmed to do things. Honestly, without that experience, I wouldn't be so driven about this podcast. Um, I just, I'm bringing it up to highlight how we're constantly developing biases. And it is so hard to see when our thinking is biased that we can be led to believe some pretty crazy things. That's... So true. Sorry, that was like a almost a really long tangent. No, it's a good tangent though. Yeah, like I well, that's I so. good background. I didn't know that 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 story was yeah. the case. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Uh, there's some. I, I sugarcoated a lot of pretty intense arguments actually <laughs> by saying I was having a conversation, <laughs> several conversations, and they typically involved some frustration. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah. Self-serving bias is another one of these cognitive biases, and it goes hand-in-hand hand with this actor-observer bias. Self-serving bias is our tendency to give ourselves, or the group that we identify with, credit for our achievements and our successes, but to attribute our failures to outside causes. So when we get a promotion at work, we want to believe that it's because of our hard work and our aptitude. But if we lose out on that position, we want to believe that it's because we were snubbed rather than believing that someone else deserved it more or that we didn't actually have the aptitude to do that job. This bias does wonders for our self-esteem because it allows us to ignore the parts of ourselves or our group that contribute to our mistakes or our failures. But it also makes it a lot harder to have nuanced conversations about things like systemic racism and generational poverty. You see, when these two biases are working in tandem, we create an idea of ourselves or our group that attributes all of our best qualities, characteristics, achievements, and successes to our internal characteristics and our hard work. Our failures are not our fault. But when we look at others, we're less willing to give them that same credit. Their failures are because of their internal characteristics, and the solution to their problem is to just do better. To just be more like us. Sounds very familiar. Hmm. <laughs> You'll recognize a lot of these biases uh, when it comes down to uh, political conversations. And I yes. don't just mean from politicians. I mean literally from anybody who is talking about politics. Oh, yes. It's, uh, every conversation is rife with it. But yeah, they're only poor because they are ethically or morally lacking is right. super common. They're poor because yeah. they're lazy. Exactly. Anyway, we'll talk about that a whole other episode. Got to move on. Honestly, we could go on about bias for hours. We haven't yeah. even scratched the surface here. Um, and we really do need to wrap it up. We are. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, but before we do, um, there's there's one more bias that we have to touch on because it might be the, the single greatest hindrance to productive conversation on some of the major issues our society is facing right now, which is saying something because we have talked about some really major ones. 
Doozies. Um, real big ones. So let's talk about this one. Um, you might not have heard of this. I know once we had identified it, I was like, okay, that sounds familiar, but it's not named a lot, and you're certainly never going to get it, see it thrown around in a Facebook argument um, unless you're talking to a philosopher or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have a friend who would absolutely throw this into a exactly. into a argument, right? Um, and it's called... Uh, the status quo bias. Yep. Status quo bias is exactly what it sounds like. It's so exactly what it sounds like that I checked three or four different sources to make sure that it was actually considered a cognitive bias um, because it is just literally the preference for things to stay the same. Change is inherently risky and human beings will go to great mental lengths to avoid risk, even if the risk is relatively small, like trying a new coffee shop. Mm-hmm. Our preference for stability will shape our cognitive processes and decision-making, which means it will affect our conversations with others on topics where people are calling for change. We saw this in conversations about vote-by-mail programs ahead of the November election. Despite the fact that all the evidence that we had showed that these programs were secure and effective, the vote-by-mail process was such a huge change, and therefore a huge risk, in the eyes of many voters. This bias is a stronghold of conservative policy. It's the if-it-ain't-broke approach. But when we're so closely focused on maintaining our own personal status quo, we fail to see the needs of others and we become obstacles to changes that could benefit them. Yeah, it's uh, You've actually probably heard this just not called the status quo bias. You've heard the, it's the way we've always done it. Right. Exactly so frustrating it is so frustrating that's how we always have done it okay but it's still bad though you get that (laughs) right but it's it's a huge work a lot it's a huge explainer for why people are willing to completely disregard tons of information that says it's time to make a change right because if they acknowledge that all of these bad things are true and they're a good person then they are morally obligated to participate in the change and that is terrifying so we just ignore it We just make decisions and find information that allows us to keep everything the same. Yep. So we've been going on about bias for a really long time. And despite how bad they can be, we do, we really need to make it clear that biases themselves are neither inherently good nor inherently bad. Remember, we're all a little bit biased and whether our biases have positive or negative effects is entirely contextual. For example, We could all generally agree that we should favor medical recommendations from a doctor versus someone with no medical training. Like Gwyneth Paltrow. (laughs) What? Does that weigh six pounds? You shouldn't pick that up. You're going to get bulky. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh. (laughs) Uh, You just hit one of my hot button issues when it comes to weight training. I know. Oh my gosh. Please continue before we okay, turn okay, this into a two-hour episode featuring an hour of the science of lifting weights and bodybuilding. True story. True story. <sighs> shake it out. Shake it shake out. It right, off. Let's go. Hand Almost band, there. Hand Home band. stretch. Okay. So, right. Biasing our, credu- our, biasing our credulity toward doctors probably will serve us very well in the long run. That doesn't mean that you necessarily have to take everything that a doctor says as gospel without asking any questions. Right? It just means that when you have two sources saying contradictory things, you would likely be better off believing the one with more evidence to support their claims. There's a huge asterisk there. And that asterisk says evidence. 
that is fact-based and replicable <laughs> and able to be modeled right. with plenty of study and peer review, not, quote, facts from doctors who have been silenced and can cure everything that ails you with a miracle cure that they only they know about and conveniently happen to sell on their online store for the low, low price of $300 for a one-month supply. Right. <sighs> anyway. So biases can also be good uh, when the stakes are relatively low. This is when it really becomes more about preference, right? This mm -hmm. is a low stakes thing. Um, for example, I generally know that I prefer chocolate desserts to fruit-based desserts, right? So when I'm deciding on what to get, my bias makes choosing dessert a little easier, a little faster. I don't have to sit and weigh the pros and cons of getting a... Um, a a bear claw to getting uh, an apple strudel. I know that the chocolate filled bear claw is probably going to hit that, that uh, <laughs> dopamine button a little harder than, than the apple strudel. Right. Um, so it's, it's a decision of relatively low importance. So the bias is a useful shortcut. But again, remember biases can be negative as well. They're called maladaptive biases and they generally include the examples that we listed in this episode. A maladaptive bias is one that relies on faulty information to reach a conclusion or doesn't generalize well to a given situation. Decision-making based on a maladaptive bias can be relatively benign. Like, I don't eat figs because when I was in fifth grade, our science teacher told us that wasps go into figs and lay their eggs and then die. So I have literally always assumed that the crunchy stuff inside of figs is dead wasp parts. Right? It's That's a relatively benign but fairly maladaptive bias. It's it's based on some pretty faulty information. It's giving it's keeping you it's very maladaptive, you know what? It's not even benign. Actually, I wrote it as a benign one, but it's not because it's keeping you from delicious, delicious figs. And they're I mean, really good. I mean one of these days. You're living a half life until you've eaten some delicious figs. What I saying. mean, like I literally don't think I have ever eaten a fig because um, I heard that before I had ever tried one. <laughs> it's like living in black and white. I don't know how you do it. <sighs> I so feel sad. like I'm going to have to try fig now to challenge my bias. Oh, yeah. It's going to be so good. Someone's going to have to explain to me what those crunchy parts are, though. It, it, what's the crunchy part inside of any fruit? Well, I'm very familiar with other fruits, and I'm not very familiar with figs. It's just, it's just seeds. <laughs> it's just seeds. Yeah. They, okay. Why don't they take the seeds out? They're so small. And you can eat them. Oh, okay. Nom, 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 nom. That's <laughs> Okay, so... <laughs> Jesus. Woo. Okay. okay. Oh, man, everybody's... So, See, this is the stuff that I would normally edit out of the podcast because even though it's enjoyable for us, it's kind of time-wasting. But you're getting it all today. You're getting it all. You guys are so welcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right, so decision-making, maladaptive bias, benign. But it can also be incredibly dangerous, as we saw with the January 6th insur insurrection, right? My maladaptive bias leads me to think things that tell me it's okay to invade the Capitol building because Democrats are liars and thieves, and that's the only way that they could have won the election. That is jumping so to conclusions based on maladaptive bias, and that's incredibly dangerous. Right. So there's... Um 
There's a lot of biases. Biases. I, you know, in our opening, I alternate back and forth between biases and biases, and I still haven't looked up which one is right, even I though I know that I'm not 100%. Right one. I don't think, oh I think, it, yeah, I don't think there is a right one. I prefer biases because it makes me sound very fancy. Um, no. <laughs> the goal, the goal, um, it isn't to completely eradicate bias, right? Um, it's to make sure that we keep an eye out for bias and analyze it when we find it. Um, we're never going to be to be willing. We're never going to be even able um, to rid ourselves of bias. It's it's hardwired right into our brains. Um, the goal is to be willing to be called out mm-hmm. on our biases and have them shown to us without desperately clinging to them, which is actually hard for a a different scientific explanation reason. But um, very quickly, whenever you are presented with scientific information that shows that your assumption, that your belief is wrong, uh, there's this strange contradiction in logic that happens. And it actually, generally speaking, makes you believe what you believe harder. Instead of of having you... um, go, oh, you know what, maybe I am wrong. Um, so it, 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 it's easier said than done to be like, yeah, I, I need to be aware of my bias and then able to question it. Um, but still, we have to be willing to, to approach these things with that mentality, to, uh, to be willing to address them and work to change them when we do find those maladaptive uh, biases. See, sounds better. Um, it's a topic for another day about everything out about what makes that hard. Um, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, I want to go back to our story at the top because as much yeah. as I enjoyed that story, we need to determine there was why no it is that we opened it, the episode with the best line since fries before guys. Yeah. Um, oh, that is a good one, too. Uh, yeah um so right so i'm telling the story the the my friend to remind you she posted a meme that um that basically described a situation where she had ignored her boss because she was uh, working out Uh, she was doing squats and when i responded uh to that uh my entire comment was uh if he works out he gets it Glutes before suits, bro. Still so good. Um, which is, that's when I was pretty suddenly confronted with an internal bias of my own that I was completely unaware of. I, I, I stepped on it like a trip mine. Um, as my friend followed up my incredible <laughs> wordsmanship um, and with uh, a simple statement that said, I like how you assumed it's a man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I guess my friend's boss is a woman, um, even if they're not, because I never asked because my <laughs> foot tasted so good. Uh, but even if they're not, it doesn't matter because there was nothing in the post to make me think it was a man. That was all internal. That was me. Um, I just automatically went there. And I swear I read he somewhere, but no, <laughs> I, went, I went back through and read everything. It's nowhere. Not even not even just a little hint of masculinity. 
um, my brain was like, ah, boss, bosses are dudes. It's a he and go. Um, so yeah thank you maladaptive bias for all of that egg on my face yeah Um, and to my friend even though i told you i wasn't going to do a podcast such a liar uh i used a very one of my favorite bugs bunny gifts though where he's he's making this great face doesn't matter um it appears i have egg on my face twice over because i have in fact made an entire podcast on this yeah entire episode uh so here it is i am sorry i'm a biased dummy i'm working on getting better i swear of course now if anybody would like to share their favorite biases, biases with us, or even just tell us whether biases or biases is correct. You can do that on our website. It's super easy. Just go to firesidebreakdowns.com and you can do everything from listen to our episodes to read our show notes with all of our sources to leave us a note, send us your favorite bias, or if you have a topic request, um, if there's something that you would love for us to do a podcast episode on, you can send it to us there. You can also find the link to our Patreon page and become a Patreon supporter. We currently have Dose Patrons. We're kind of a big deal around here. That's 200% more than we had two months ago. Erica, welcome to our fireside. It is like 1,000.999% or something like that. Well, I mean, no, I mean, zero to two is like undefined zero percent. It's infinity more percent than we used to have. That is that's a math nerdiness right there. Hashtag math. I'm not good at math. Yeah. I'm sorry. Please say the name of our new our new uh, patron patron because I talked right over it. You did. It's fine. Erica, welcome to our fireside. Catherine, we're glad that you are still hanging out with us. We are so excited to have you guys on board. Um, and to do cool patron things with you so keep an eye out for that coming yeah well the the first like reward for that tier i guess if you can the incentive it's not really a reward um but the incentive that should have been pushed this last weekend like we should have actually done the thing that we said we're gonna do yes follow through um so yeah if you haven't seen that yet you should see it now yeah it's definitely got our totally awesome rad playlist on it totally awesome rad plus there's a fun behind the scenes sound clip so is there oh man which one did you you're pull? welcome <laughs> i'm gonna make you get oh uh, boy so yeah firesidebreakdowns.com please yeah. check it out i'm gonna take us out of here with some good news no i'm not robin's gonna take us out of here i with mean you can take news. us out with good news if you want no 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 hit it all right all right one of the biggest problems that was caused by bias during this whole pandemic situation has been the distrust of the vaccines that we have for a multitude of reasons Otherwise, rational adults have been terrified of the unholy power of the mRNA vaccine and have been incredibly resistant to get it. However, I crack myself up sometimes. <laughs> you're I'm so sorry. funny. <laughs> so I just funny. picture the Elmo, the burning and with the fire. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking about. <laughs> it is 100% the Elmo gift. It's a terrible. It's, I can't do an Elmo right now. My voice no. is too low. <laughs> Very white as Elmo. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but since the beginning of September, the number of Americans that said that they will not get vaccinated has been at an all-time low. Now, it's still unreasonably high, even at that low, 20%, but that is down from 34% of people in March. 
So fully 68% of parents had either already gotten their children vaccinated or were planning to do so as soon as it was allowed, which is up from 56% just two weeks prior. There is still a great deal of work to be done, but it seems that the continued success of the vaccine, even in the face of the Delta variant, has begun to undo some of the damage that was caused by months and years, in the case of vaccines in general, of targeted disinformation campaigns that only kept us in this unending purgatory longer. Time will tell if we're nearing the beginning of the end of this pandemic. And we're sure that there is still far more time left to deal with this crap than anybody is really actually happy about. But we do at least think that we finally set ourselves on the path to reestablishing some sense of normal life. And we're hoping that that trend continues. Indeed we are. Um, well, we hope you all have a wonderful week. Thank you so much to listening to our Smoky Jazz uh, edition of Fireside Breakdowns. Um <laughs> <laughs> we will be back at you in one week with another incredible topic. Uh, if you are on our Patreon, you can actually suggest topics. Yes. Um, so you, you know, get priority. Yes. Well, you get priority. Request. Everybody can suggest a topic, but you know, giving us money, we do accept bribes. Yeah. So yeah, straight up, give us money and we'll do your topic faster. Uh, <laughs> shameless. Um, <laughs> <laughs> gotta keep those lights on yeah. with the two patrons that we've got <laughs> hey we love them and we're so excited <laughs> we do anyway until that time thank you so much for listening to us and uh we look forward to talking to you again and take care of each other I-